Welcome to Inspiring Stories from American History with Rebecca Price Janney. Today's story is about Mary McLeod Bethune. Samuel and Patsy McLeod were former slaves who had a cotton farm near Maysville, South Carolina. They also had 17 children. Mary Jane, born 10 years after the Civil War, was the 15th. Most of the oldest ones were married and settled in other cabins by the time Mary reached adolescence. And while the first children had been born into slavery, Mary and her two younger siblings were born free. Grandmother Sophia was part of the family, too, sitting in the living room smoking a pipe while the others worked the farm. Sophia had lived in slavery most of her life, working hard for her master. Therefore, her children exempted her from helping out, saying that Sophia had earned a good long rest. At night, Mary and her family sang hymns and told stories. Mary loved to hear Sophia's tales about life on the plantation, thankful she didn't have to live in slavery. Just the same, she knew without an education, most blacks would continue to live in poverty and ignorance. At age nine, Mary McLeod took her first steps toward a better life when she started attending school. It was located five miles from home near the Methodist church to which her family belonged. Maysville Institute started in the living room of an old shack and, like most schools for blacks in the post-Civil War years, arose from the missionary efforts of northern churches. Every night after dinner, Mary McLeod taught her family what she had learned that day at school. She also started helping neighbors with math problems related to their farming businesses, and she became a celebrated young figure in the community. Mary graduated from the school at age 12, but she yearned for further education. Her parents thought they could afford it until tragedy struck. In the midst of planting cotton, the McLeod's donkey suddenly dropped dead in the field. There would be no money for a new animal until harvest time, so each family member took his or her turn pulling the plow. Mary prayed for another miracle so she could go back to school, but she kept herself from hoping too much. One sticky summer day, however, Mary spotted her former teacher walking toward her across the field. Emma Wilson had wonderful news. A Quaker woman from Colorado had used her life savings to provide a scholarship for an African-American child to go to Scotia Seminary in Concord, North Carolina. There, both black and white teachers conducted Mary's classes, and she learned that not all whites wanted to keep her people down. Mary completed the high school course in five years, then put in two more years of college-level work, excelling in public speaking and singing. She graduated in 1894. The young woman applied to Moody Bible Institute so she could become a missionary to Africa. Not only was she accepted, 
but Mary received another scholarship from her Colorado benefactress, Miss Mary Chrisman. Although she was the only black American at the school, there were other people of color from Africa, Japan, China, and India. She recalled, There we learned to look upon a man as a man, not as a Caucasian or a Negro. My heart had been somewhat hardened. As the whites had meted out to me, I was disposed to measure to them. But here, under this benign influence, including that of Dwight L. Moody, a love for the whole human family, regardless of creed, class, or color, entered my soul. In 1895, Mary graduated from Moody, but the church's mission board said it did not need a black woman to serve in Africa. She described this as the greatest disappointment of her life. Instead, the 20-year-old accepted from the board a teaching position at Haynes Normal Institute in Augusta, Georgia. Her supervisor and the school's founder, Lucy Laney, helped me see, she said later, that Africans in America need Christ and school as much as Negroes in Africa. Following that stint, she went to Kindle Institute in Sumter, near her childhood home. She began to attract many young men, but none of them caught her eye until Albertus Bethune joined her Presbyterian church choir. Two years later, they were married at the church parsonage. In 1905, they moved to Florida's Atlantic coast, where many blacks were working on the East Coast Railway. She set up a school for their daughters in Daytona Beach, calling it the Daytona Normal and Industrial Institute for Negro Girls. She had no substantial money with which to purchase this course, so Mrs. Bethune worked hard to raise funds for building and equipping the school. Her efforts were particularly rewarded when John D. Rockefeller Jr. and James N. Gamble of Procter & Gamble, both vacationers in Florida, took a liking to the spunky teacher. They generously contributed to her school. The institute, however, grew faster than its funds. Nevertheless, Mary McLeod Bethune's policy was never to turn away a needy child. She remembered where she had come from and was determined that the black children of Daytona should be trained to earn a decent living while dedicating their lives to God. In 1908, the Institute admitted some boys and became known as the Daytona Educational Industrial Training School. Mary Bethune's fame spread and she received an honorary doctor of science from Tuskegee Institute, along with the renowned George Washington Carver. During her life, Bethune received a total of 10 honorary degrees. Mrs. Bethune's school merged with the Cookman Institute for Men in 1923. Six years later, it became known as Bethune-Cookman College, and she served as its president until 1942, with another brief interlude in that office from 1946 to 47, 
when she finally retired as President Emeritus, she resided in a home on the edge of the campus with her secretary, who was on 24-hour call. Mary Bethune remained a zealous fundraiser who embarked on an ambitious building campaign. She also brought the school to an enrollment of more than a thousand and to full accreditation, making her nationally famous as an educator. In 1935, she won the Springarn Medal of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. In 1936, President Franklin D. Roosevelt appointed her Administrative Assistant for Negro Affairs of the National Youth Administration. Her primary function was to obtain part-time jobs for black students affected by the Depression so they could stay in school. She also worked to promote employment for those youths who were not pursuing their educations. At one meeting with FDR, she described the economic salvation this program meant for young blacks, bringing the president to tears. Taking her hands in his, he remarked, Mrs. Bethune, I am glad I am able to contribute something to help make a better life for your people. She remained with the NYA until 1944, besides advising the Secretary of War on the selection of black officer candidates for the new Women's Army Auxiliary Corps. Bethune also assumed the vice presidency of the NAACP. Because she was so active, Bethune's severe asthma was aggravated and her doctors advised her to slow down. She reluctantly resigned from the presidency of Bethune-Cookman College in 1942 and after the war began eliminating some of her federal responsibilities. In 1950, as she approached retirement, Bethune wrote a foreword to her biography addressing young black people for whom her heart still burned. She told them, because I see young Mary McLeod in all struggling boys and girls, I can never rest while there is still something that I can do to make the ground firmer under their feet, to make their efforts more productive, to bring their goals nearer, to make their faith in God and their fellow men a little stronger. May those who read this volume gather from it new confidence in themselves, new faith in God, and a willingness to work hard to reach the goals of a good life. Mine has not been an easy road. Very few of my generation found life easy or wanted it that way. I rejoice that in my own way, I have been able to demonstrate that there is a place in God's Son for the youth farthest down who has the vision, the determination, and the courage to reach it. Mary McLeod Bethune died of a heart attack on May 18, 1955 in Daytona Beach. Thank you for joining me for this edition of Inspiring Stories from American History. I'm Rebecca Price Janney.